Hello and welcome back to the Game Pit Podcast. This is episode 198, can you believe it? And my name's Sean and here's Ronan. Sean, how are you? Welcome. Have you been busy, listening, doing anything? What's the crack? Uh, we got a new kitten in the house, so that's pretty much been the crack in our house for the, for the last day Another or two. Another sensible name. Go on, run down the three names you've got now. We've got Panther, Bobble and Jinx. To be fair, I only chose one. Probably the worst one, but I only chose one of those. You chose Bobble, I know. I like know. Someone from Balamori named your cats. <laughs> What's the story with Balamori? Wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> it's a dated reference. <laughs> there you go. You remind me of the policeman. Anyway, <laughs> we're here for a countdown, Sean. We're continuing our countdown to our episode 200, and we're doing the top games of all time. We've managed to make it for to numbers 30 to 21 as we said before these are all great games they've all been great games and the further we get towards the top the more subjective they're likely to be because these are going to be games that we personally have had amazing times with and i've got good memories and good memories with our friends and family for sure we're in the right the right end of the meat now Ronan. don't know if that made any sense but i'm saying it anyway <laughs> it didn't and it horrified me okay <laughs> Speaking of good memories, there's a memory I shall retain from one of the earlier Lobster Con, Sean, of playing a particular game of Area Majority, in which I enraged one of my fellow contestants, mentioned a couple of times last uh, episode, Martin Griffiths, to the point where he had to go for a walk on the beach with his wife to take a little time out. And it was the glorious game of 19th century politics in New York, and it's Tammany Hall. Tammany Hall is absolutely fantastic. It's mean. It's rough. It's about not cheating within the rules of the game, but playing dirty within politics and setting things up and housing certain uh, populations within certain bits of the city, certain wards, as they used to do, and then getting that, that population on board to support your push towards becoming well, the new boss Tweedy, the mayor of New York. It is about 90 minutes long. It's never had very good components, but it's always had absolutely amazing interactive gameplay everything you do affects everyone else you got me on your ball and you've got to have thick skin to enjoy tammany hall mate number 30 i have played tammany hall once i like the different player powers that you get um to play the round in it's a really clever game but it's one of those games where you are the center of all evil so everyone else playing it Ronan. Me or every player? <laughs> Everyone focuses on Ronan. And I came in as a little bit of a noob. It was quite, quite a few years ago. And I won the game because they were so fixated on what Ronan was doing with his Irish. <laughs> like, watch the Irish. Don't let the Irish get this. Don't let them do that. And I was like, uh, nobody's paying any attention to me. This is brilliant. I like it. <laughs> That uh, is a reputation hard-earned over a couple of dozen <laughs> plays. You're not any particular nation, by the way. They just have this obsession that I'm going to do something weird with these green cubes that are allegedly the Irish. I don't have any powers over them. I'm not set up to control the Irish. They just got obsessed that somehow I, the Irish were going to be key to the victory and I was going to magically manipulate them. I don't know. It's been a while since I played out. Actually, 
we did take a complete noob down to London on board and we played with Rachel and I and she'd literally never played board games before and a couple of other ladies and she rinsed us and she was like these board games are pretty easy aren't they <laughs> I had a bit of a try I had to go for a cry in the toilet <laughs> that was me showing how hard it is to win Tammany Hall anyway Tammany Hall is fantastic it creates stories it creates moments moments of high tension and hilarity within a simple system it's absolutely fabulous Sean they're all fabulous what's your fabulous number 30 my fabulous number 30 is the very atmospheric aliens clone nemesis now nemesis for me is right up there in the the storytelling games section and what this brings that a lot of games don't bring is that sense of dread because you are crawling around these tunnels on this on this spaceship and you're, you're walking around and at any point the aliens can, as they do in the films, jump out and attack you. You've also got your own agenda, so you're not quite sure what everybody else's agenda is, whether it matches up with yours, whether it's completely anti-yours. And yes, it is one of those really fragile games that we talk about as well. But when it works, it works really well. And as we've talked about in the past, Roden, I do forgive those types of game and i remember the better times rather than the worst times so nemesis for me is a wonderful experience and it's my number 30 game of all time you asked me just before we started recording because we're both going to LobsterCon down on the south coast at the end of uh, april you asked me if there are any games i want you to bring bring nemesis for me okay do you want do you want the old one or the new one <laughs> Oh, we'll do my... the old one it's fine <laughs> I only played it a couple of times we talked about it we reviewed it I remember it being like number 27 you saying there's no way it should be that high up it should be 30 should it it should be 30 that's exactly where it should be <laughs> okay, massively overrated it's now number 19 it says it's 5 years old on BGG do you reckon that was when it was kickstarted or is it actually five years old is that true it must be five yeah it must be five because they've had the second kickstarter with the second version and that's coming and that must be a couple of years old now so yeah it must be i'm so old I, <laughs> I would have this as a new game honestly i'm just losing the plot yeah it's a game of potential for me that in my couple of plays didn't come through things went a bit wonky but i'm holding out hope sean persuade me i shall do my very best sir what's your number 29 Another story-creating game, which is probably most often played solo, in which you're exploring areas around you, laying out cards. The longer you play, the more cards there'll be in play. And you're in a weird Cthulhu Lovecraft-esque adventure on the undiscovered seventh continent. This is definitely a might game and it does only work in certain circumstances i don't think it works great with more than two or three players probably works best solo i always say i don't play that many solo games but seven continent about every 10 months i'm gonna guess i get this hankering and then i spend a few hours just playing seventh continent and exploring and really enjoying myself because of the logic within the world in which you're in in which you start doing things you don't always see that what you're doing is a good decision or a bad decision but when it rolls out usually apart from there is sort of a dead end thing in the in the original quest but usually like oh it's pretty obvious that i've just followed a leopard for three days through a jungle and then when i found it it beat me up because i'm a person and it's a leopard <laughs> what was i thinking it was gonna do and you do kind of have to think your way through things there are surprises there's creepiness 
the more expansions that you add to it, the more unpredictable things can be, and you can get these wacky plants that go around the place, or you end up flying around the place. There's lots that can go on in Seventh Continent. I'm still waiting on Seventh Citadel. It's taking forever. It reassures me that, that I think that they're really working over to make sure it's going to work very well, and they've learned some of the lessons from Seventh Continent. It's my 29th best ever. It is going to be a Marmite game, but I love it. I really like it, but I haven't quite fallen in love with it yet. And there's a couple of things that I definitely know are the reasons behind that are when you die, just having to replod the same steps again because you know vaguely what way to go and you know where you made the mistakes. So, okay, I'll go left instead of right. And that's very, that's a simplification of it. But also the, the much lauded save system, I didn't really work for me because you just, when you, put the cards back out again you're just starting from the cards you were on almost and you kind of don't have the memory of the history from where you came from and that kind of felt a bit weird to me but i really do like it i'm sounding like i really don't like it i like it a lot i just haven't got it to the table yeah i don't retread my steps let's not have any of that nonsense let's take the worst bits <laughs> out of it just play it as you enjoy it let's not do any of that crap Okay, my number 29 is an old favourite, and it's something that has fallen a little bit over the years because I just don't seem to get it to the table that much anymore, and it's Keyflower. It's the game in which you are building up your workers, but they're not your workers because when you, when you put them down, somebody else can hoover them up, and different colour workers are going to lead to getting different actions or getting different tiles, depending on... It's almost like a bidding system in the middle, very clever. You're building your own tableau, something I always really enjoy, and I have long been a fan and a lauder of Keyflower, and I won't talk about it much more because we've talked about it so much in the past. How do you lord it? How does one become a lorder? <laughs> you stand in the middle of the room and say, Keyflower's very good. I'm going to make you do that. I had a mental block on Keyflower, and when it first came out and I was playing it, I just couldn't work it out. Funny enough, some of the later installations within the series, like Keyflower stuff that worked on the ideas within Keyflower that were less complicated, have allowed me to now think that I'd appreciate Keyflower a lot more. And it's something that I would love to start playing again. I, I already rate it highly. It's not in my top, top games, but I think it might be. because I, I had some mental block, and I think I might have got over it, Sean. So another one that I need to get back to the table. Cool. Let's go in the bag for an obstacle then. <laughs> We're never going to play them all. No, we're not. <laughs> you and I, just the two of us, six hours, having a couple of beers and playing only a two-player game, what game do you think I'd choose? I'm hoping that my mind to your mind will get my number 28. It's, it is only a two-player game. No more people can play it. Well, it can be played by more. We've played it with more. No, nah, my mind's gone blank. I'm going to kick myself when you tell me, but go on then. A little bit of mythic. Oh, of course. You oh, suck. I do suck. <laughs> my, my son was actually talking to me about this today because his, his topic at school is Greek mythology. He was like, what's that game we have that's really fun? And I'll tell him about mythic battles. He said, we need to play that again, Dad. It's such a good game. <laughs> it really is. We need to play it again, Sean. You play it with James first. He's in trouble. <laughs> mythic Battles Pantheon is a huge Kickstarter of a game, and I think people look at it and think that it might be nonsense, but it's absolutely and incredibly fun. 
system that somehow works with all the variety within it and you're having different gods different monsters different heroes different sort of throwaway troops that will kill die and come back again you're fighting in order to capture these very rare resources across the board or to eliminate each other it's a card driven system it's actually very simple to play to play well takes a bit more of a challenge not something i've ever got to we both own tons of content for it. We're waiting for Mythic Battles Ragnarok. It is an incredible game. And when Sean and I retire, I'm going to insist on there being a Mythic Battles Day every week <laughs> because it's just absolutely glorious. And it's just an example of the fact that we're both too busy. But when life calms down, whenever we get to that age, we're going to be playing this a lot. I love Mythic Battles Pantheon, my number 28. It is an absolutely fantastic game, but I am genuinely shocked that it's not a top 10 for you. I had it in your top 10 I, all day I, long. Honestly, I haven't played it enough. Like, I've maybe played it half a dozen, eight times. Mm. I know it's, it's one just, that Rachel doesn't really get on with, so you struggle to get nah. it to the table. There's something about Greek fighting games she doesn't like, and I don't know what it is. I don't want to delve too deep. <laughs> uh, maybe it's her Achilles heel. That was actually pretty good. I quite like that. Okay, carry on. <laughs> right, my number 28 is another one that's kind of fallen from the top 20 because of lack of plays. It's Star Trek Fleet Captains. And I was listening to yourself and Adam, the beautiful Adam, talking about Star Trek Ascendancy. And some of the things you were saying, though, is that the factions all make sense and things like that. That's what I feel about Star Trek Fleet Captains. The factions all do what they're supposed to do. And they're quite interesting for it. Big, massive stack of cards, all doing different things. The Federation are all being nice and exploring and getting on with everyone. And as the Klingons are just smashing the crap out of everyone. Uh, Fleet Captains, as I said, you've got all the familiar characters coming in. You've got all the familiar actions. You've got all the familiarity, familiarity. I'll get there. No, I won't even bother. People know what the word's supposed to be, so just just imagine okay. in your own head. Sure. Of, of Star Trek. So this, for me, is Star Trek in a box, and it's the closest game to that feeling of Star Trek for me. So it was in my head, obviously, when I was going through Ascendancy, and I, I, I knew you'd have some comments to make about the two of them. <laughs> Fleet Captains is one of those that can be amazing and can be pretty bad. And needs to be played in a certain way and random things can happen it does feel like a half a series of original star trek and that's the the best thing that it achieves and you really don't know what's going to happen and you have got your own way of doing it as you know it took forever but a six-player team game of this is one of the best gaming experiences i ever had it was hilarious it doesn't always deliver fleet captains which is why it just keeps it off the very very top echelon but I completely understand the choice, and it is a lot of fun, and probably superior to Ascendancy for me. Ah, okay, cool. And I, too, am a Deep Space Nine fan, just to chime in. <laughs> you and Adam both said you were. You're the man who lent me the uh, entire series <laughs> on DVDs when I dislocated my hip and was stuck in bed for several months when I watched it through twice. So thank you for that. It was a long time ago. Cool. Right, moving on. 25 years ago, that was. 25, 25 years ago, I done my hip. Oh, we are old. Do you remember when I was recovering from surgery and I was getting out of your car and you drove off? <laughs> that was so funny. I mean, that was terrible. I'm really, I'm really sorry, Rona. <laughs> yeah, you dry, literally drove off halfway out of your car. You just started driving and then laughed at me. I hate you. <laughs> my, 
<laughs> Not recommended by the doctors. My number 27 <laughs> is a joint puzzle game. And I like a joint puzzle, Sean. And I like it when we're all thinking and we're all interacting around the same thing. But the genius of Cryptid is we're all thinking in different ways and we've got a different start point and different amounts of knowledge, but we're all trying to work out the same answer. So it feels competitive, but it doesn't feel sort of directly competitive. You're not doing anything to knock anyone else down. You're just racing in order to get there ahead of them. And every clue that someone else gets, hopefully, is helping you out somehow and getting you closer to what the location of the actual cryptid is. It's absolute genius. You can play three, four, or five players. Everyone gets a booklet and they get one clue. And when you add all the clues together around the table, only one hex on the modular board, it can actually match all the rules that the clues give out. And they're this very simple. It's the interaction between them all that you've got to work out and players answer yes or no whether from what they actually know from their book whether a cryptid can live in a certain hex or not. And by working out the yeses and the noes and looking at the different terrains or the different buildings that are on the board, you've got to try and work out what everyone's clue is and race to get the hex that has the cryptid in it. I just think it's a fantastic shared experience. It plays in 45 minutes and it's brilliant. I absolutely love Cryptid, my number twenty-seven game of all time. I've, I've still never played it. I have heard, well, yeah, I've heard wonderful things from you and a lot of other people. I've just never got around to playing it. Wasn't there a little bit of an issue with the colours? Um, they were a little bit close together, so people who are colour blind will have trouble deciphering colours. No, I'm imagining that. Sean can see me frowning. This is the, uh... <laughs> The advantage of using this medium. I don't think so, but I could be wrong. Okay, and you were a massive fan of the follow-up as well, weren't you? No, it was absolutely terrible. <laughs> and I don't know why it was called Cryptid, and let's move on before I become enraged. Right, okay. number 27? My number 27 is Viticulture. Viticulture was a slow burn for me. The first couple of times I played it, I couldn't see the fuss, but slowly I got to, I got to see the fuss. The choices that you've got to make, you've got the, the early and the late choices slightly different, lots of different cards to bring into your tableau, and lots of different paths to go to making your wine. Yes, you only you only make a certain type of wine. It's difficult to explain. It's, it's one of those, yes, there is a lot of thought you have to go through, but it never seems harried, or you never seem sort of in trouble making those decisions. So it almost feels like a lighter euro, but you still have a lot of decision making within there so viticulture a nice relaxing glass of white i can understand why you'd find it hard to explain why viticulture is the 27th <laughs> shut up yeah you never feel harried you're right you don't feel harried you don't feel like anything's very difficult or anything's very tough or or indeed there's anything much i mean yeah great viticulture i, I never got it and it comes up again and again in people's top games and i listen to it and i hear it and i believe these people i believe they believe themselves i don't think they're bad people i don't think you're a bad person i don't think it's a bad game i quite enjoy viticulture i'll happily play it is it any more memorable than 2000 other games not for me i just never saw the what's unique about viticulture that makes it so well loved it's it's a well put together works well euro which i'll enjoy yeah i think that's the exact reason that 
I do enjoy it, and it's really high for me. There are lots of euros that work really well, and you go, yeah, it's a good euro, it's fine, but it hasn't got anything like, you know, why why am I going to remember that? What about viticulture is the thing that go, this, this one is that bit better than the other one? I think I ha- have more fun playing it because there's enough brain tickle going on that I think I'm making clever choices and I'm going down my own path. But I'm also able to relax a bit and not stress about my next move and chat around the table. It's just a nice experience playing viticulture. Whereas other Euros, I'm going to talk about one in in my top 20 that absolutely, if I had any here, I would be tearing it out because it's so fraught and tense. So it's just the opposite experience. No, no, that's the one. That's the one that should be. (laughs) Yeah, 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 fair enough. Fair enough. Moving on, what's your 26? Nice relaxing, easy-to-win co-op where we're all chilling out and no one's too stressed. <laughs> Stranded on the island with Robinson Crusoe. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's almost like you, you led me to water and now I've got a drink shot. <laughs> Let's talk about being stressed, being hopeless, having to mitigate every decision, stressing about whether to put one disc to build this hut or put two in. If I put one... Then I've got a risk of hitting myself in the toe with a hammer and I'll be lame for the rest of the game if I put two in. But what about the food that we had to get as well? The weather hates us. Starvation hates us. Our own incompetence hates us. All we have to do is stay alive and build a fire. That's it. That's all there is in the game. Why is it so hard? But it's so difficult. It's so funny. People have been referencing in reviews recently the, how clever the system is whereby you encounter a card and then it goes back into the game and you're going to get the consequence of that card at some time later and you don't know when. And really, it's best played if you don't read the bottom half of cards and you say, right, that's great. You've done that. You've got those two bananas. However, you've also disturbed a snake nest. Ooh, good luck. That might go well for you, or it might not. And now, slightly in the back of your mind, you're like, maybe we should keep some weapons in case those snakes come back for vengeance, or whatever it might be. You know, you reach the fruit, you get bitten by a spider. That might not go well for you, but it might. Maybe I should rest. Maybe I should do this. And it just pulls you in different directions. You've all got to support each other. You have to work as a team. You have to decide when to take risks and when not to. There's a little bit of dice rolling, but it doesn't feel crazy. And it's such a good co-op that I don't think that fine, fine balance of being tough but fun and achievable but not easy has possibly ever been done quite as well as it is in Robinson Crusoe, my number 26 game. I know, she stayed well away from the rules. Well done. <laughs> this yeah. is a positive episode. <laughs> this is a positive list. I did. I got in a bit of a row uh, a few months ago when Mr. Chevichek tweeted how important a rulebook is for a game. <laughs> easy to tweet. Easy to tweet. Maybe not so easy to do. Hmm. Robinson Crusoe is indeed a fabulous game and yes before you sort of um, went on to explain it i was going to mention that sort of legacy aspect to it other games have tried to replicate it but very few have actually managed it one that's done it quite well recently is frostpunk when you're making decisions and laws and things it will come back to bite you in the bum generally so that's one that i've seen it done but i don't think anyone's done it as well as robinson crusoe has done it so it's a absolutely a clever system great game and a great choice ronan well done thank you very much 
So my number 26 is a almost a technology project as much as it is a game, and it's Chronicles of Crime. You are solving a crime, but the, the magic, if you like, is that you are interacting with people via an app on your phone or your, your device, and that as well has a, has a, a legacy effect. So you might speak to somebody early in the case and then things change in the case and you go back and speak to them and they've got a different story. Maybe they've been found out to be lying. You get to look around the crime scene and pick things up from it. I know Rona's a big fan of this too. I'm going to talk, I'm generally talking about the whole series. I think the original is still my favourite, although everything so far has been top quality and I'm a big fan of Chronicles of Crime. Yeah, I just checked. It was my number 59. I think because I've got so much of it I haven't played yet, that it's almost like it's 59, it's very good. I kind of want to see more of it before I can really plunge and make it a top 50 game, which is strange because I've loved every bit of it that I've played. I think it was innovative. I agree with you completely. It does what it does so well, you can almost take it for granted because a lot of games have promised this sort of thing of app interaction, of being in a real world, of people actually doing things. And this is so seamless and smooth in the way it delivers we almost take Chronicles of Crime for granted, and yet I haven't seen it done as well anywhere else. Super excited for Dark Quarters coming out, in which there's a blend between themselves and other games makers. It's the um, yeah, Detective sure. City of Angels people, and mm-hmm. them have come together to make it, and I love both those games. I've had loads of fun both of them, so I'm so excited for that. You wouldn't believe it. Very strong choice, Sean, and in five years' time, whatever we decide to do this again... I think Chronicles of Crime may even climb because there are so much good about it that I can't see it going anywhere anytime soon. Lovely. You're number 25 of all time, Ronan. Okay. I'm six-year-old Caitlin, Sean, and you've come over for a visit. What am I going to make you play? You're going to make me play Dixit. Yes, I am. Number 25 (laughs) game of all time. Dixit was a revelation. It was something truly original in combining the visual artwork, the unusual stuff, the interpretation of art into a game, an idea that was built upon with the likes of Detective Club and Mysterium and many other games since. It did something completely new. Sometimes when something comes along that does something completely new and then it's built upon, that can be great, but the cleanliness of the original and the impact of the original and the fun you have with the original can stick with you. We'll always go back and talk about Dominion for that sort of thing. I think people almost seem to be rediscovering Dominion now after going around the houses on many, many styles of deck building. Dixit for me, we had so, so many good times as a family with my young daughters growing up, with friends, with my flatmate and his family, with Sean Yeen, with whoever coming over and just having the crack and being funny and enjoying ourselves. And that shared time around the table is absolutely invaluable. It's memories I will always, always treasure. And Dixit gave that to me and it's absolutely timeless. You could get this out with kids now, you get that in 10 years, 20 years, 50 years. That Here's a piece of art. Have a think about it. What does it mean? Will last forever. So I truly think Dixit is an evergreen, amazing title. It's my number 25. Yeah, Dixit is a fantastic, fantastic game. When I did used to come around and play with you guys, I enjoyed it as a game. And it was was lovely seeing your kids, the way their imaginations would flourish, playing and looking at the cards and the stories. 
And then it was almost had a, a new spring of life when I got kids later. And I could see James's imagination flourish. And he's such a good, almost like a tool for getting him to think creatively about things. It's a wonderful product. It's not just a game. I think it's just a wonderful product. And yeah, Dixit will be a ever permanent in, in our collections, both of us, I'd imagine. I think it's a real sort of stepping stone towards developing kids' ability to look at a medium and consider it in different ways and not just take it as skin deep. And when you start doing that with pictures, it can then go on to other things they do, like stories, like TV, like films, like whatever they're taking in. It encourages that of, yeah, it's this. It's obviously this. What else might it mean? And look, I don't mean we're creating 10,000 words <laughs> of criticism about the influences behind uh, a painting, but it just is a gentle, fun nudge in that direction of, here's a different way of thinking about things. And, and like you say, a very positive thing, I think, for children. I certainly found it with my children to be. Yeah, so, for sure. your number 25. My number 25 is Terraforming Mars. I think I'm pretty sure I'm on safe ground with you, Ronan. Terraforming Mars is just such a, just a clever, clever game. As we've seen from other people playing it, you can come in fresh and play it and get a load of enjoyment. But as it goes on, there's such a variety in the cards and such a lot of cards that we've seen people who've been playing it hundreds of times still getting that enjoyment because they are now reading the cards and almost sort of reading the table around them. And it's just a wonderful race experience. I don't always like race games. And this one is kind of a race to the finish. And you're racing to put things down in the time frame that the game's giving you. Play it with the draft variant. I think that makes it a lot more fair for everyone around. But yeah, terrible mums. Mums, great game. I'm getting a thumbs up for the draft variant from Ronan. <laughs> 100%. Please carry on pushing that. I may as well talk about it now because it's my number 23, Sean. <laughs> Just roll that one in. Why not? As good as damn it, we've got it at the same place. Talked, when we talked about Castles of Burgundy last time around, about that sort of mental health time being rage to, to play some older games. Terraforming Mars came out. We are dozens of plays into it, and it was still fantastic. And not only is it interesting what I'm trying to do, I'm watching what she's doing, and I'm going, oh, yeah, that's clever. Oh, yeah, you've done that. I had to manage to do that. And... The racing for the milestones and, and unlocking which achievements. And, oh, hold on, we're pretty close on three of these. Which one are we going to unlock? And we had so much fun with it. And we've got that familiarity with it. It seems to be the favourite game for people to say, oh, it's a killer. It's a whatever, whatever killer. No, you don't have to kill Terraforming Mars. There's been nothing quite <laughs> like it. There are aspects of it in which you're comboing cards for different powers. There are aspects of it within the board play. I can see some similarities in Ark Nova. I don't think they're that similar at all, to be honest no. with you, in terms of how you play them. It, it's superficial, but then, you know, Ark Nova's superficial. <gasps> <laughs> yeah, I never got on with that. That was on your list, wasn't it? <laughs> the comments that Ark Nova was a terraforming Mars killer. No, why would you not just play... If you really like Ark Nova, why would you not just play two great games? Why would you say, you are never playing <laughs> no, that again? no. no. Only one can exist, Sean. <laughs> I like Dixit. I have to burn Mysterium. That's it's like the, it. the Highlander of gaming. <laughs> there can be only one. <laughs> and when we play it, it's like the drunk jeweler of Highlander. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely glorious game. I don't even mind the artwork and all the other things people say are wrong with it or the, the not indented boards or whatever. I really don't care about any of that stuff. I just think it's great. And thank you for my 3D bits. I'm still greatly enjoying them. 
Really? I reckon just do your 24 <laughs> and then we'll even up it in a second or two. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Do you want me to do my 24? Yeah, and then you'll see that it will work out. Okay. Go. <laughs> my 24 then is another game. I said Star Trek Fleet Captains was the game that made me think of Star Trek. And the game that makes me think of Star Wars is Star Wars Rebellion. Pretty much Star Wars in a box. It is a big, sprawling, epic fight between the dark and the light side. And you can play it with teams, which I've, I've done a London and board. And it's still a, it was a five hour game. And I enjoyed every second of it. It was brilliant. People were going off to the bar talking about their tactics because they didn't want us to hear them. And, and we were doing likewise. And just such a good game. Star Wars in the box. Star Wars Rebellion. I knew it's a Star Trek Rebellion. Star Wars Rebellion. Fantastic effort. This is the uh, Damocles sword hanging over my top 100 <laughs> that I just couldn't put in. I've loved it, but I've only played it twice. So I just couldn't put it in there. And I, I absolutely keep looking at it going, I've got to play that more. And I just haven't. So fantastic choice. I just need to get my life sorted out and get the game played. That's it. Simple as that. I really think it's great. I've had the expansion in my save for later on Amazon forever because everyone says it helps it out so much. But I'm not playing the base game, so I can't justify buying the expansion. But I think that's going to happen quite soon <laughs> just, just because I'm an idiot. Okay, so you're 24, Ronan. My 24 is another game I think that can be taken for granted because of how ubiquitous it's become because of the sort of franchise of games it's spawned because people see it everywhere i think it's easy for people to come cynical about how good an abstract drafting game azul actually is that it works with two three and four players it's quick to set up it's hugely interactive you can play it gently. You can play it incredibly meanly. Paul Arnell has been mentioned a few times on the podcast recently. Him off the library public service announcement. They were playing it adjacent to us a few days ago. And he took, I think, something like nine tiles on his last take. And he couldn't place any of <laughs> They were all winning his junk. And he was set up by the other players. And obviously they were playing the game with chicken. And he was the one that got it. And everyone was laughing. And you can see it coming. It's up to you whether you mitigate that risk or not. Or go, you know what? I can't take that nine. I need to take three now and, and sort of spread this out a bit. Or, or just go for it. And there is a, other ways of playing it in which you're just chill and you're not being mean to each other and you're not counting all the tiles you're just letting it roll around but it works both ways another absolute evergreen i think actually the the sequels have been quite interesting but none of them as fantastically pure as azul is and as flexible and as smooth and just a great half an hour of game azul my number 24 Yes, I'm a fan of Azul Ronan. It is one of the two games I think of. When, when you kind of think about these abstract puzzle games, I always think of Azul and Sagrada. Yes, I slightly favour Sagrada, but Azul is something I will never turn down a game of. It's, uh, it's a really good game. It's just not my type of game, but for me to actually enjoy it, so it shows you how good it is. So, good shout. Azul, not as good as your 92 game in the world. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. I looked it up. <laughs> you know my 23. It's Terra Forbidden Mars. What's I yours? know. <laughs> <laughs> my 23 is a game from Mr. Lacerda. 
It's not my favourite Lacerda game. Oh, but so it's going to be Lisboa. It is Lisboa, correct. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Lisboa is the game where he famously said, but there's only three choices. <laughs> Why, how can it be so hard? Yes, because there's like 97 choices off those three choices. <laughs> I, I like the simple choices to begin with. Uh, that sort of cascade into more difficult choices and you're building up and you're rebeautifying the city of Lisboa after flood and fire damage and yeah it's it's Lissada. I kind of rock his games I'm not don't don't get me wrong I'm not when I say rock I don't I mean I'm brilliant at them but I kind of understand them and I, I enjoy the the way he sets up his games so yeah Lisboa is a favorite in this household and pro- probably a favorite with that as well I know you, you kind of fluttered with it for a while, didn't you? Fluttered? All right, yeah, I'll take that. You a bit dabbled. of flutter. <laughs> I did, like a lot of his games, it was a struggle to get your head around. I actually found it, once I got my head around it, not that bad to teach, actually. It was, it was hard to learn, not so bad to teach, because it's three choices. And as long as you make clear what the outcomes are and how they interact with each other. So when you're teaching one choice, you say, which will do this and do this, and then you teach the next one. It was okay. And I enjoyed the process of playing. I felt that the the grid, is it like the cardinal grid or religious grid or something, I thought was mm-hmm. a bit superfluous. Yeah, Didn't need to be in there like that was just noise for noise sake my big problem was the scoring there are cards that you can just start drawing that will score you more for the fact that you've drawn a card than for some of the effort you've put in over an hour within the game and that wonk of scoring meant that while i enjoyed the process i wasn't loving the outcome meaning it became a good game for me but as an overall package not a top game for me but i can see why you would enjoy it. It's probably about two or three years now since I took on a Lacerda. I feel ready, Sean, to take on the next one. One that, who knows if it's higher rated than this borough or not, on Mars that we're going to hear from you probably next episode. I'm just going to... Is it top 10? I'm going to say yes. But who knows? Maybe not. Cool. Right. Moving on to the penultimate game of the episode, Ronan. For you. If you say to me, Ronan, do you like a word game? I'll say no. I don't like a word game, Sean. I don't love an awful amount of them. I played Wordle for a couple of months. It was it was good fun. Don't get me wrong. Cross Wordle and Octurtle and all the rest of it. In terms of board games, paperback. I don't. I just not that. I don't have a lot of fun messing around with letters. Code names is the game that breaks the rule for me. A fantastic shared time around a table which again, much kind of like us all, can be played at that level of fun party-ish game where we're doing clues that are twos or threes or even ones and we're having the crack and we're just trying to like you know have a good time or can we play at that intense level where like i always do every clue i give is a five and i don't care how obtuse the, the, the links are as long as they don't link to other words that are there hopefully you can make the link with me and i don't care if you get it wrong or not because it's all just good fun and a good time and it can be like really intense now the problem is i understand it that people hate being the clue giver and the game can slow down when the clue givers are left with a real difficult choice of words i actually quite 
enjoy that aspect of it from both sides where I'm looking and thinking and thinking, well, what words here can be difficult for them to put together? What clues have they done before? What clues have the other person done? So what words have they missed out on their clues? So I'm constantly thinking all the time. I don't feel that downtime as much as others, but I can understand why that might be when it's marketed or people talk about it as a party game. It might be a bit too intense as a party game. For me, as has come up a couple of times already, I don't mind a bit of intensity in my gaming time. I don't mind things being a bit hard and a bit of a squeeze and a bit of a, oh, I quite enjoy that. As long as we can laugh about it and we're not getting stressed and we're not shouting at each other and being like, ah. as long as everyone go, well, you tried a five, we got the assassin, never mind. We'll do another five next time. It's all good. Always shoot for the moon. So to me, Codenames, I think, is a fabulous, fantastic time. I make poor Rachel play different versions of it more than she wants to <laughs> because I just can't get enough of it. So Codenames, my 22. Codenames, for me, felt like it was... Pictionary. It, looked... <laughs> it, felt... <laughs> it felt a bit gimmicky. And for a good chunk of time, I really enjoyed the gimmick. But ever since I played So Clover, and then we talked about, oh, this, how can that game kill another game? But it did. So Clover killed... Oh, hypocrite. Clover. Oh, yeah, hypocrisy. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It did. I, I would I would always choose So Clover above Codenames now. So it, it has kind of killed it for me. But it's still a good game. But So Clover's much better, in my opinion. I think there are moods for me. So there definitely there's times where... Oh, let's play so clover. We can chill out, and not that it's a completely chill game. You're having to think, but then there are times where I'm a bit more high energy. I'm a bit like, oh, let's get code names. Let's get. We're gonna start sweating blood and really like trying to put together cotton wool and panther and mountain. Come on, come on, let's do this. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I understand it. And again, this always comes up between us, the duality of how much intensity you want in your games. Well, you're a nutter. You like Lacerda games, but but code names is too intense. You're just a nutter. <laughs> okay. My number 22 is a game that if I had played it more, and if I was playing it more, I think it's in contention for my number one, Ronan. Oh, 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 oh. I have not explored the game enough. So what I have seen, I've really, really enjoyed, and I've played it maybe four times ever, and not for a long time. So that's how good it is to be my number 22. It's Gloomhaven. I thought that Gloomhaven was so clever with just brilliance running through it. But I put it aside, making the the insert to contain all the pieces. <laughs> Never really got that built. It's still half built. <laughs> and it was just in my mind that all right, we're gonna we're gonna set some time aside and we're just gonna hit this for two weeks in a row. We're gonna play it every day. And of course life with two kids and three cats now and Multiple trips to the hospital this week with various <laughs> issues with children, banging heads and stuff. You just don't get around to it. <laughs> so it's it's another one of those ones for retirement, Ronan. I'm going to hopefully <laughs> get some real good Gloomhaven time in when I've got more time in my life. And I'm expecting it to reach heights in my collection, in my thoughts. It came quite introspective there. So <laughs> enjoyed the level seven of my consciousness alongside the Lotus. Yeah, I'm back playing it again, as discussed recently. We're playing a campaign online with Puria and Lloyd. I've played maybe like 30 games of the campaign previously. Played Jaws of the Lion a couple of times. Again, I keep saying to you, just buy Jaws of the Lion, Sean. 
just play it. It is the full game and it will teach you the game again. It's quicker to play the first five games of Jaws of the Lion than it is to try and learn Gloomhaven. So just do that. I'm going to ask you a quick favour. Just buy, buy me Frosthaven, please. Because I didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just, I'll just go and grab a quick 300 quid for you, mate. That's not a problem. A two? Only two. Only two. Uh, oh, you're a cheap date after all. <laughs> I haven't got through Saven because I generally don't think I've got time to play it. And we've got other games that we want to get on the table. So I haven't invested in it yet. Rachel likes Gloomhaven, actually. So if she says, do you know what? Let's, let's make a dig in and do it, then that'll come. But the online game of it is so close to the board game experience that that is enough for me at the moment. And playing that, it's supposed to be once a week. Sorry, Puria. <laughs> once every week or two, we'll say. <laughs> is enough to scratch my itch. There may be a point, and I'm glad Frosthaven is available, that I go, oh, do you know what? I want to dig in a bit more to it. All the products are absolutely quality. It's an absolutely fabulous, fabulous game. And a good choice, Sean. Thank you very much. And your last game of the episode is... My number 21. I was scared of this game, Sean. When I first came in to the hobby, it was around and people were like, whoa, that's a nightmare to learn. Don't you go try to play that, son. It's too hard. (laughs) Race for the Galaxy is not that hard to learn. What? Really? (laughs) Oh, people used to be terrified of it. Trust me, they were like, before like the app was available, stuff like that, they were like, oh, you'll never get your head around the symbols. Oh, those cards, you can't tell what they do and all this stuff. I'm like, what? Once I learned it, I was like, oh. the people who said it to me, I'd be like, I'll teach you Race for the Galaxy. It won't take me very long. Oh, 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 and I did. And suddenly lots of people around me started playing Race for the Galaxy and it absolutely exploded. It helps greatly that Rachel loves it. She's played the app hundreds of times. She's very good at it. You like it. Nat likes it. Ellie loves it. If Rachel and Ellie are left alone for more than seven minutes, Race for the Galaxy will appear on the surface around them somewhere. <laughs> and it's 20 minutes. You know, we're talking about the feel of Terraforming Mars. Race for the Galaxy gives me a little bit of that feel of, here's some cards. What can you do with them? Mm. You're not going to use them all, but which ones do you pull out to go, this might work, this might work? And they don't always come to fruition, but you're setting up tracks to go down which may or may not get you to your destination, well, then you have to change your destination and change what track you're going down and be flexible in how you play and be very tactical in how you play. It works so well. There's so much variety. It always feels like you want to do more. You're having to make compromises all the time and that you have to throw away cards that you want in order to play any cards at all. Otherwise, you'll just sit there completely bunged up. We were playing uh, Marvel Champions the other day with Adam beautiful Adam and uh, he wanted to keep back three of his five cards from his first hand and we had just a brief discussion of like yeah but there's five more cards there that you want to play and then the next five you'll want to play all of them as well so there's no point holding on the cards most of the time not always and it's same with Race for the Galaxy you can't keep everything you have to throw some stuff away and it's painful and that little bit is just five seconds of pain and then you move on and you've got more new stuff. You're like, oh, what should I do with this? Love Race for Galaxy for the time frame, for the variety, for the number of plays that are in there. It is a fantastic system. It's everything I look for in a short game. Race for the Galaxy, my 21. It is a great game. And you're absolutely right to say that myself and Nat do really get on with it. I think there was another one that I was a little bit slow to warm up to. And I'm not really sure why. But definitely now, 
Nat will play that almost at any time, given given the chance, and I'm always happy to do so. so yeah, great choice, Ronan. Just missed. I thought that might be a contender for your top twenty, but it was close enough. Close well, it enough. was a contender. It was a contender. So my number twenty-one. I think it's my third Feld so far. So far. Ooh. Is there more? It's, <laughs> <laughs> and I know this is one of your least favourite Felds. It's Trajan. Trajan is so much fun to play because of that central mechanism where you've got the rondel and you've got the Mancala doing it so clever and you do have to plan out move after move and you can't just do it right. I really want to do this to no, you've got to think where's that going to leave me for next turn? I think that's just such a clever mechanism within the game. Yeah, there's lots of other things to do and sometimes it feels like you're just doing something to push a, a pawn or a longer map or whatever. And that's effectively what you are doing, but it does provide lots of different routes to victory by doing that. And I'll come back to it again. All driven by that central mechanism uh, is what I love about the game. And Trajan, it took me a long time to play it because it looks quite boring and bland and beige. But once I did, I fell in love with it. And it's my 21 game of all time now. It's your fourth is it my fourth? So I know we got what an aquasphere. I know that I had was, Castle. Yeah, that was Castle's, your highest rated apart from this. Castle Burgundy. Castle Burgundy. Yeah, it's the next one up. Yeah, yeah. And then your first one you put in here. The first one I can't remember now. Go on. Luna. Ah, of course. Yeah, another great game. I am a bit of a Feld fan. I think he's probably the most present designer in my top hundred. I don't have to check that though. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say so. Trajan, I haven't played it in a long, long, long time. What I remember from having played it was it was a bit too bitty. The mini games within there, the six mini games, felt a little bit too abstracted and different to each other that I didn't feel like a cohesive whole was going on. And that's what prevented it from being a top game for me. Again, another one that comes up very often in top game lists. Could well me be an Egypt, but that's what stops me from absolutely loving Trajan, is that it's slightly disjointed. I think that is fair comment. Kind of are playing a kind of a separate game almost to, to everyone else, and there's not that interaction unless two or three people go for the same area, which would be quite foolish, really, because there's so many ways to go to get there. So quite often, I'll be doing something over here, You'll be doing something over there, and that'll be completely on around doing something. So we're not really chasing after the same targets because there is so much to do. I see the argument, but I still really adore it. So my number twenty-one Trajan, and there we have it. We are in, or coming into top twenty territory now. And exciting, very exciting, Sean. The world's breath is baited. Let me tell you. <laughs> yes, thank you, thank you, Sean. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. We are going to have some reviews next episode, Sean. You and me reviewing games again. This feels special. <laughs> it's, it's been a long time coming. You had to drag me halfway down the country to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, hopefully for 200, we're going to run down our 20 to number ones. So thank you for joining us all the way down on this. And we're nearly there. Everyone, Sean, see us out. Firstly, thank you, Ronan. And as always, we are proud members of the dice tower network go there and to the dice tower itself for gaming goodness galore if you wish to catch us on social media we have a facebook page we are on instagram and we're also on twitter if you wish to contact us and please do we really do enjoy hearing from you give us a shout on apart our email from about zombicide apart from what apart from about zombicide 
<laughs> yeah, shut up, sheepy. <laughs> <laughs> and if, yeah, if you wish to email us, apart from sheepy, it is the game podcast <laughs> at gmail.com. And we're also available. Not, well, not always, but generally available on our Board Game Geek Guild. So pop along there and we will endeavour to answer you there as well. Thank you so much for listening to The Game Pit and we'll catch you next time. Music by E. Aaron. Bye, 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 bye.